Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beet treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. There has been an avalanche of insensitive, unusual, and frankly bizarre public statements this week. Today we process some of those statements and address listener feedback. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Briefcase. We're going to be talking about strange things that the president, Wilbur Ross, Mo Brooks, Elizabeth Warren, and Hillary Clinton have said this week. We are also going to talk about some listener feedback, and I have a few things that I'd like to just share about the concept of trolling generally, if you're up for that discussion, Sarah. I'm always up for that discussion. We'll start with Mo Brooks, because this generated some interesting conversation on our Twitter feed. Mo Brooks is a congressman, and in comments about the health care bill, 
He said to Jake Tapper, and I'm just going to read his quote. This is about the AHCA. It will allow insurance companies to require people who have higher health care costs to contribute more to the insurance pool that helps offset all these costs, thereby reducing the cost to those people who lead good lives. They're healthy. They've done the things to keep their bodies healthy. And right now, those are the people who have done things the right way that are seeing their costs skyrocketing. Oh, man. What? I mean, okay. First of all, you clearly don't believe in karma because I won't even put on Facebook that my kids don't have a cold for fear that the sickness and illness gods will strike me where I sit to go on television and be like, oh, people are healthy because they're leading good lives. I mean, I'm not a cancer researcher, but dang, you are asking for it, buddy. I saw, so one of our listeners brought this up. I think it was Bren, but I can't remember as something that is prevalent among evangelicals. I have never heard this theory in my life. And I feel like I grew up in the midst of the Bible Belt. I have never heard this idea that you can associate some kind of moral fitness with physical fitness and an absence of disease. I think that's crazy. Well, I mean, I definitely grew up like if you're rich and don't have financial problems, it's because God is, you you know, you've, you've, you're doing it right. Like God is rewarding you. Really? But I don't, oh, 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 yeah. I vividly remember a a story my youth minister told about praying and somebody showing up with a refrigerator when he needed it. And that was like, you know, God fixed that financial problem for him because he prayed so hard. I mean, at least that was my takeaway. Um, I think that there is a lot of, um, stewardship of your body growing in the evangelical community. I saw a little bit of that at the end of my, my tenure at the Baptist church. Like the idea that, you know, your body is a temple and that doesn't just mean not having sex until you get married, but it means taking care of it and exercising and being healthy. And so it's not that big of a logical jump from I take care of my body because God wants me to. And people, I mean, think about the moral argument with AIDS and the, you know, gay community. It was, this is being used to punish you for your choices. So I think there's, there's definitely an undercurrent of that. I feel like the people I grew up around would start lecturing you about Job. If you brought up any of this and about how God gives trials to the faithful all the time and things do happen to us. And, and I do think there is a sense in the community of faith that I grew up in that we have things happen and are at least supposed to learn something from them, which is still a hard message and not something that is particularly helpful to people in the midst of their suffering. But I never had a sense of good people don't get sick, which is what this sounds like. And I just, how do you ignore all of the evidence of the millions of factors that cause sickness and cause chronic conditions, particularly in our society. So this was also, how do you ignore how insurance works for the love? How many times do we have to go over this? It's also weird because I feel like a lot of Republican voters, reliable Republican voters are older and tend to have health conditions. I'm just wondering what constituency hears this and says, yeah, that makes sense. Well, and here's the other thing. 
that really bothers me, and it's reflected in his statement and a lot of conversations I have about the healthcare system and people's healthcare decisions. So Paducah is currently being um, considered by the Blue Zone group. Do you know about Blue Zones, Beth? I don't. Blue Zones are communities all over the world where people regularly live past 100 or in higher numbers than they do in the other parts of the world. So like Sardinia is one of them. It's like the highest sell. It started as a, a National Geographic piece. It's like the highest selling issue of National Geographic ever. I remember when these guys, it's a, it's a Dan, oh my gosh, Pashman. I should know their names. I've met all the brothers. There's a bunch of brothers. Now they, and I remember when he came on Oprah and did this whole spiel about the blue zones. And this guy was like 103 out chopping wood in South America. It was like totally amazing. So looking at these communities, he has developed these sort of nine principles of healthy living they're really great. They're like, it's not just about, he calls it the plant slant, like eating more plants, obviously, and moving naturally. But there's also a big component of social networks and community and um, feeling like you have a purpose in your life. And I think what I love so much about the Blue Zone. So anyway, so we are being considered by the Blue Zone group as the first Blue Zone community in in Kentucky. And what they do is they come in to your community and you invest a lot of money, obviously. Um, and then they sort of bring all these resources and attention and help you. And they call it sort of nudging. So it's not make better choices. It's let's make these choices so easy they don't feel like choices. Because the idea that someone's health is the sum total of their willpower is so ignorant, in my opinion. I can barely stand it. It is also anti-science and anti-psychology and behavioral modification. All these things, that's just not that simple. The idea that people gain weight or have addiction problems or mental illness or anything because of the the just they're, they're this island and the choices they make going through life. There's all these factors that affect us and affect our, not, you know, not just genetics, but, you know, societal factors, environmental factors. And Blue Zone is like, what I love about it is they so get that and they so understand that these communities where people live over a hundred more regularly than other places, it's not because they're better people or they quote unquote make better choices. It's because the environments they built contribute to health in a real and sustainable way. And as soon as I feel like we can all understand that and stop acting like someone has mental illness or a disease or obesity or diabetes or whatever, because they're just crappy and make bad choices, man, the better off we all will be. So Mo Brooks, that was a bad idea. Elizabeth yeah, Warren up, had a bad idea this week as well. <laughs> she, in an interview with The Guardian, Elizabeth Warren talked about how President Obama alienated regular people in talking about the economy. And here's what she said that really set some folks off. I think President Obama, like many others in both parties, talks about a set of big national statistics that look shiny and great but increasingly have giant blind spots. The GDP unemployment no longer reflect the lived experience of most Americans. And the lived experience of most Americans is that they are being left behind in this economy. Worse than being left behind, they're getting kicked in the teeth. I I don't disagree with the second part. I think that it is true that 
National statistics, we've talked about this on the show before. National statistics are no substitute for what people live and feel. Her comments that throughout that interview about President Obama being out of touch were were interpreted in a very racially insensitive way by many people on Twitter. And I can see that. More than that, I think this language is reminiscent of Donald Trump, of people who talk in more nationalist ways. I don't know that it's helpful to talk about how people are getting kicked in the teeth by the economy. You know what I mean? There's a sense of agency lost in that. I definitely don't. Yeah, that's true. And I definitely don't agree that I feel I feel like President Obama, if President Obama is out of touch, it's in the same way he's always been out of touch and that he is an incredibly intelligent person. And the speak the way he speaks can occasionally come off as aloof. But um, we all know I love him. So listen, be who you are. I will say this about Elizabeth Warren. I don't understand sort of except for the, the President Obama part why the second part is setting people off because she has pretty consistently talked like this like she has had a populist an economic populist message from sending i feel like from the beginning of her career in politics i mean that is her thing her thing is the middle class is disappearing and people are getting left behind because we have corporate interests that have way more control and power than they should so i I don't I guess I'm a little lost about why this is so surprising because I don't feel like this is so out of character for her. Okay, thought experiment. You have to pick between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders as the face of the Democratic Party going forward. Which do you choose? Oh, Elizabeth Warren because she's an actual Democrat. (sighs) I don't think either of them are very good for the party long term, but who cares what I think because I'm not a Democrat either. (laughs) Moving on to the president himself. In an interview with Selena Zito, a reporter for the Washington Examiner, who I happen to love, Mr. Trump said the following, had Andrew Jackson been a little later, you wouldn't have had the Civil War. He was a very tough person, but he had a big heart and he was really angry that he saw what was happening with regard to the Civil War. He said, there's no reason for this. Hi, everybody. I'm adding sound effects to Pantsuit Politics now. That sound was me banging my head on the desk. Did everybody like that? That was new. I guess Andrew Jackson was making those comments from his grave. Is that right? He was not alive during the Civil War. And I, I, okay, I have a lot to say about this. One, he was alive and president before the Civil War. The Civil War was not an acute situation we have been arguing about slavery since the founding of this country so in theory he had an opportunity to address the central concern of the civil war first thing second thing a little later he'd been dead for a while third thing stop glimmerizing andrew jackson he was a terrible president like i don't understand this obsession with him just because he was a populist doesn't mean anything. Ah, oh, it's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating. We will move on now to Wilbur Ross because I don't have anything intelligent to add to what you just said. I will say this. This is my one and only attempt at nuance with, with regards to this. I don't forgot who it was, but on Facebook said, said he, Andrew Jackson did have big block of cheese day. And to that, I say, good point. If, if the only thing Andrew Jackson contributed to this country, 
country was. Big block of Tuesday, just so it could be turned into the best episodes of West Wing. I guess that's something. Wilbur Ross is our commerce secretary. At... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I agree. I mean, I agree about Big Block of Cheese Day. I can Again. feel your effort. So this, this man is. <laughs> at the uh, Milken Institute Global Conference on Monday, Secretary Ross talked about being at Mar-a-Lago with the president and the president of China, Xi Jinping, when the strike on a Syrian airfield occurred. And here is what Mr. Ross had to say about that. Just as dessert was being served, the president explained to Mr. Xi that he had something he wanted to tell him, which was the launching of 59 missiles into Syria. It was in lieu of after-dinner entertainment. As the crowd laughed, Ross added, the thing was it didn't cost the president anything to have that entertainment. That is so disgusting. I can barely contain myself. You know what what I think is the matter with you. What I think is worth saying about this is that if you are a person who constantly rails against elitism, Mm -hmm. I don't know how you see this administration as the answer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Just that you would think of people even people who you consider enemies of the United States, of humanity, as losing their lives as entertainment. Also, I'm a little concerned that the Commerce Secretary sees missile strikes as free. I don't... Uh, well, not to mention that those missile, strike, missile strikes also involved American life mm-hmm. being put at risk. And people who loved those Americans, it just... It's just not I'm sure our military loves being described as after dinner entertainment. It's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. Okay. The last one, Sarah, is going to be a little bit difficult for you. So we'll just acknowledge that right out of the gate. <laughs> Hillary Clinton has kind of made a public appearance to talk about being part of the resistance efforts. I don't really know what she's doing, but she told Christiane Amanpour, another person who I love. If the election had been on October 27th, I would be your president. And I included this in our list of strange statements just because I cannot imagine anything less productive than reigniting this debate. Well, I think it's a little unfair. One of our listeners shared an article on Twitter that I thought was really good, and I think I retweeted it, where um, somebody had shown that she was talking about the lack of Internet accessibility in central Pennsylvania. She was sort of talking about the lack of broadband as an economic barrier to so many. And they took this one quote where she was like, I couldn't even get a cell signal when she was. That's not what she said. That's not how she said it. She was having a broader conversation about the, these economic barriers for people. And people used it as they missed. They took that one thing and made it seem like she was out of touch. So my first issue with the way this talk has been covered overall is they're doing to her what they always do to her, which is take one quote out of context. Well, let me rephrase. They are doing to her what they do often in the media and people on Twitter and all of us. We take including with, Hey, with in full disclosure and in full nuance, what we just did to Trump with that Andrew Jackson thing. Although I'm, 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 you know, skeptical. There is any perspective that could be provided that would help me understand the ahistorical nature of his comments about Andrew Jackson. But anyway, 
you know, they're taking this one quote. We don't, I haven't watched the whole thing. I should, I, you know, I've, I've missed her. I'm glad she's back. But, um, I don't think it's really fair to just like take that one comment. I'm sure Christine Amanpour was asking, why do you think you lost? Because that is important to talk about. It's important to say, what do you think happened? Why do you think you lost? It's also the only thing anybody asks her right now, anywhere she goes. She was talking about that. And she said, I made some mistakes, but also James Comey and misogyny and all the other ways in which external factors influenced the scenario. This I also quote don't does... think she's wrong. I just don't. I mean, I don't know if you saw that article I posted where it was like, Democrats know why Hillary lost. And it's basically like, she didn't turn out people. Now, listen, there's two ways to phrase that. So you can say uh, there was an 80,000 person difference. And it's not hard to see how, based on the polling after James Comey's letter, these late breakers, 80,000 of them could have broken my way. I don't think she's wrong about that. Now... The other way, and, and I think what you're saying, the more sort of self-reflective and responsibility-taking way to say that is, I did not, I should have had a bit, it shouldn't have been that close, letter or no letter. I should have been a, done a better job of turning out the people who voted for Obama. And, you know, the message, the you know, the message le- felt left some people feeling left behind and left out. And that's on me, you know. So and I think because I think both things are tr- true. I think it was tight and those factors, um, you know, changed the outcome. And I also think it shouldn't have been that tight. So um, I guess I don't know if that's what you're trying to get at, but I can see both ways. Well, here's the other layer. No one better understands how a soundbite is used than Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. And a statement like this seems to me to be intended to provoke Donald Trump and his ego in a negative way, which would be useful if they were still in a campaign, but they're not. And I just think this was a really unproductive and not helpful to the country thing to say. Now, our president shouldn't be that sensitive, right? So we're dealing with this whole universe of things that should not be. Yeah. And we also can't just, you know, be tiptoeing around his dang, you know, fragile ego. And I also wonder there's just a part of her who's like, you know what? I'm not running anymore. And I'm going to say whatever I want. Y'all can interpret it however you want. And I don't care. I, I hope that we can all do a little less of that in looking at this list of things that all of these statements. The interesting thing to me about aggregating this bucket of weirdness from this week is that despite the growing intensity and prevalence of media, we seem to be getting worse at controlling messages instead of better. I can't imagine trying to be Sean Spicer. I actually can muster an enormous level of empathy for Sean Spicer because as poorly as I think he performs in his role. And as much as I disagree with him about most things, what, what are you to do if you're the person who's trying to be the spokesperson for this administration? Our whole environment is so wacky right now. And I just think it requires a level of care. And we seem to be going in the opposite direction of that level of care. But I, you know, when I was listening or reading that article about how she was covered, that quote about the cell phones was covered, I thought this is so reflective because 
he can play and he can do the sound bites and he's great at it. He's great at responding to our current media environment. But as we all can see, that is a different set of skills from actually making decisions and leading the country. She, however, is terrible at the media environment, but would have been great in the Oval Office because that's a different set of skills. And maybe we just need to acknowledge, and I, you know, I've said this before that I sure hope the love, the like silver lining of Donald Trump as president is that we just ease up on the idea that everybody has to, like, there has to be so much care and everything out of everybody's mouth has to be perfect and has to be completely reflective of all their positions and not, you know, maybe we all just need to ease up on the idea that we could or certainly can now control the mess, the message. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked to me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy and put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now, and there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there 
to battle the heat, I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. We always cover listener feedback on our Friday episodes. I wish that we could cover every single message we got from every listener because we get some incredibly thoughtful messages. I do want to tell Amanda, who wrote to us about dairy farming regulations, that I am eager to talk about that. I'm going to consult some of the experts in my life on that subject before we come back to that message, but we will. So stay tuned, y'all. That's quite a teaser. We're going to talk dairy pretty soon. Before that, I wanted to talk about a message that we received from Eric, who always, I think, provides a really interesting perspective on our social media channels. He said, I try to listen to shows that veer away from emotional responses to news as I view that as part of the problem. You don't de-escalate or resolve issues when you are operating on the emotional side of your brain. As an officer, we learn to de-escalate a person by asking factual questions and get them to disengage from their self-feeding emotional loop that they are in. And I both agree with that and have serious issues with it and wondered what your reaction was, Sarah. I, in my life, definitely subscribe to the respond, don't react philosophy. However, it's such a nuanced, fine line to acknowledge the power and not always uh, dependability of emotions without devaluing them, which I don't want to do. And I think that, you know, we are, are a news podcast, but we are not journalists. And so what we offer is in a lot of ways, our emotional reaction to the news. And what I really think we offer is, um, sort of transparency in working through those emotions. So, and especially working through them together. So I think, I mean, I think that's sort of the, the special sauce of pantsuit politics. So I don't want to get away from that. But, you know, obviously we think there's value in moving past emotion to a more nuanced view because that's sort of what we try to do. I think that it is important to know where you are on that spectrum and that maybe the problem with most journalism right now is that it doesn't acknowledge that. So you turn on something like Morning Joe and I, I watch it. I appreciate a lot of what they do. It is very emotional. And it doesn't admit that. Hmm. And I think that's a problem. We get criticized occasionally for saying, I feel a lot. I just got a lovely message from someone who said, I don't care what you feel. (laughs) Well, then maybe we're not your cup of tea and that's okay. (laughs) Because I do think that we are all deceiving ourselves if we think that we don't inject an enormous amount of emotion into our analysis of news and politics. And so that's why I absolutely agree with Eric that you have to be capable of stripping all of that away to understand facts and objective reality. Also to understand where you don't have to change your position necessarily to acknowledge facts and objective reality, but you should be honest about when you're deviating from what's logical. I, I try to do that all the time. I think again about the conversation I was having with our listener, Max, about, uh, single payer healthcare systems. You could, I don't take issue with how efficiently that system works in some countries, 
that's not the analysis that I'm going for in that conversation. And to me, the important thing is to be honest about that instead of arguing the point about the efficiency of those systems in a way that's really divorced from the operating system that I'm, that I'm working from. I don't have anything else to add. (laughs) So speaking of some of those messages where we are being accused of being less than helpful or logical, many of you read a blog post that I wrote last week in response to a message from Christopher, who had written to say that we are fake news. And I appreciated a lot of your reactions to that message. I want to be clear and say that my intention was not in any way to shame Christopher or to be snarky at all. I think the the point to me of reacting in a public way to that message, like many of the messages that we react publicly to, is that I think it represents a perspective that's out there. And it's a perspective that we need to wrestle with in order to keep moving forward, because we share a country with people who believe that everything they hear that they don't like is fake news. And we share a country with people who think any perspective that is not 100% on board with President Trump is fake and elitist and smug and part of the problem, in quotes. So I wanted to engage in that conversation. Um, I have received more messages from Christopher. He was not pleased that his first message ended up on our blog without his express permission. So I asked for his express permission to continue to share his messages, and he didn't respond. But he did send me a list of questions that he wanted us to answer, and I thought we could do that, Sarah. Um, also, I just need to get this fake news thing. To me, and I really wish we could all agree on a definition, I thought this was the definition we had agreed on until our president perpetuated the idea that fake news is anything that disagrees with them. But when this started, fake news was like things that didn't happen perpetuated by websites that weren't reliable news sources. I assure you, Beth and I happen every day, all day. So I'm not really sure how we are fake if we are real people. But I'm this that phrase has just taken on a life of its own. Well, it really has, because there is an enormous difference between pure mythology and actual facts that are reported in a biased way or that are reported or even reporting that's done in error and is later, you know, corrected. I just think it's a crazy term. But anyway, Let's go through this short list of questions from Christopher, who also feels very strongly that the one of the most dangerous things that we do, and dangerous is a quote, is operate from an emotional place instead of a logical place. Oh, wait, I have to stop and say one more thing about that. Go ahead. Um, I feel like the word logical is sort of a trigger word for me because it basically means I've had a lot of men, let's just be real about this. I've had a lot of men say to me, Oh, you're too emotional. You need to be a lot more logical as if it is this, uh, you know, completely objective state that again, mostly men seem to find themselves in. And I think it's ludicrous. Everybody operates from emotion. The idea that there is some logical reality, um, that you alone perceive is, so, 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 so not something I subscribe to. So I mean, I think I, I have an emotional reaction to the word logical, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I also think that if you are a person who, and, and I don't mean this particular to this listener, 
I think it probably does apply, but to a host of people. And this is what I wanted to say about trolling generally, because a lot of trolling for our show comes in this way, right? It's we're too emotional. We're babies. You know, we can't handle anything. If you come at us with those kinds of words and you are listening to our show for the purpose of reaching out to us in that way, and you think that you are operating from an emotionalist bastion of logic, I think Mm. you're being dishonest with yourself. Nevertheless, here are some questions that we should answer. If not America first, then who first? How is stopping criminal entry to our nation racist? How is enforcing our law racist? How is keeping our nation safe from a group that has told us, quote, we will infiltrate our fighters with the refugee population xenophobic? I do not know the source for that quote about refugees. I feel that those questions are all related so that we can probably tackle them together. Um, if not America first, two first. Um, what do you mean by America? Do you mean a particular group inside America's interest? Because when I say America, I mean a set of values. And those values are based on the idea that this is a home for everyone who values um, independence and liberty and freedom of thought and um, protection for all groups, no matter their minority or majority status. So the values is what I mean when I say America first, or not, if not America first, who first? Not a particular group, aka native born Americans. Is stopping the criminal entry, how is stopping criminal entry to our nation racist? I was not aware we were not stopping the criminal entry into our nation. I'm pretty sure that we still have border patrol and immigration enforcement. Uh, what I do feel is racist is when you target a particular group. Um, absent of sort of the reality of how they enter or how other groups enter or any of that. I, the, you know, sort of the, here's the thing for a hundred, for over a hundred years, anybody could come into America. It wasn't a, it wasn't an act to come into America without the right papers. My family benefited from that. Many of other people's families benefited from that. So it's just difficult for me to decide all of a sudden that something that my ancestors benefited from, which was um, free entry to the United States, is now all of a sudden a criminal act. And that's where I struggle with it, particularly when all of a sudden the groups that are coming in look differently than my ancestors did. And that's why it, you know, it has it feels racist, I guess, is what I should say. And so I just I don't subscribe to the idea that America is this. The strength of America is its white Judeo-Christian history, because I don't really think that's the entire history of America. I know it's not the entire history of America. And I think the strength of America is a, you know, diverse population who shares the fundamental values of freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom of assembly and, you know, the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So that's my answer. Yeah, I think America first as a term is a confusing one. I mean, it sounds like who doesn't love America first? Apple pie, puppies, 4th of July, baseball, hooray. But you have to piece out. Do you mean Americans first? Mm -hmm. And even if you do, what does that mean? Is that an economic message? If it's an economic message, I struggle with how President Trump is the right messenger for it, given how many of his products are not made in America. 
-hmm. If it's a foreign policy message, you know, the news doesn't cover this every day because it's not interesting and inflammatory, but he hasn't changed our foreign policy much. We still have troops in Afghanistan and Yemen in all kinds of places over the world. I think that's because he's learning that American interests in the world are much more complex than saying America first. And I, I guess I just don't know what this means. And, and whatever it means, I don't think it's this binary, you're for it or against it mm-hmm. thing. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra-concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. 
You heard me free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. As far as the racism and xenophobia, which I will freely admit we have ascribed to President Trump and many of his supporters on this podcast, to an appropriate degree or not, I don't know, and I think history will probably have to bear that out. We might not know in our lifetimes the extent to which our predictions about how damaging some of the campaign language and some of the executive order policies will be. But I don't think that it is racist to want to protect our borders. I think some of the language that President Trump has used about why we're doing that absolutely is. I don't think it's racist to be concerned about people coming in as refugees to our country and wanting to make sure that those people are legitimate refugees. But I think some of the language that's been used about why is, and I think the carving out of specific countries and specific religious groups is. And so, again, I don't think this is a you're with me or against me scenario. And I think every time we make it that way, we're making the problem much worse. And again, I think doing that is operating 100% from a place of emotion rather than a place of legitimate analysis. Mm -hmm. Have you read Shrill by Lindy West? I have not. Um, with regards to the idea of trolls and trolling and reaching out in conversations and across emotional arguments, it's an excellent book. She's sort of become the, um, ambassador of what it's like to be trolled. And she, there was an amazing Miss American Life, um, episode in which she actually spoke with a troll who created a fake Twitter account from her dead father to harass her. So that's like a whole other level. And it's just really excellent and her sort of examination of everything we just touched on, even and especially with regards to women and women who talk about politics and say political things is really excellent. And I can't recommend it highly enough. I'm very torn on this topic. I don't even like the word troll because I hate reducing a person in that way. You're always interacting in these situations with someone you have no idea who the person is, right? It's never a photograph. It's never, it's always something that you could be talking to someone who is like a 40 year old stockbroker in Manhattan or a 15 year old kid in Montana. You know, you just don't know. So I always have this sense of like, is this a person I know in real life who's coming, <laughs> who's kind of <laughs> taking out something on me this way? And I don't get offended about, about it or, or hurt by it. Listen, I was an RA on a wet campus. There is not much that you can say to me that I haven't heard before. I work in human <laughs> resources now. Like, bring me your best insults. I promise I've heard them before. But I just, so, so on the one hand, like, I'm not particularly bothered by it. I find it a little bit fascinating. I never know who I'm interacting with. So I don't want to project a bunch of assumptions onto someone. I struggle to understand what makes someone devote as much time and energy to something that is negative as people do in this space. And then there's a part of me that also thinks, is it hypocritical? Like I struggle with blocking someone on social media and I struggle with just deleting emails and not responding to them because that seems antithetical to our vision of let's sit down with people we disagree with and have a conversation. There's also this line for me, though, where I think, 
we just aren't sharing a common reality. And I don't, I don't know how to move forward when we can't agree that like sky blue grass green. Well, and one of my favorite things about the book is she pushes up against this notion or pushes back against the idea that like, this is the price you pay for being a woman on the internet and you just need to ignore it. And I think that's why people, when I was running or with, you know, when I would write political posts, there was this, this common thing that I was told, which was just don't read the comments. Well, why? Why should I just pretend that this awful thing doesn't exist? And why is this the price I pay for being a woman with an opinion on the Internet? Because it shouldn't be. And she does a really good job of pushing against that and saying there are other options available, especially if you feel like just blocking this person, ignoring them is not what I want to do. And it's not what I should have to do. So I think that she does a really good job of sort of exploring um, just this phenomenon and how to exist within it. I just want to have interesting conversations. So as you were saying that, I'm like reading in my mind the message that's going to come in to say, oh, my gosh, you're just babies. You think everything is sexist. That's hard. You know what I mean? And I think that's boring. And there are only so many trips around the sun that we get. And I really want to invest my energy in productive conversations. But at the same time, you know, again, I come back to... If our guiding light is to engage with those we disagree, with whom we disagree, what obligation do I have to try to continue those conversations? So I want to say this conversation, we were kind of picking around on the edges with the America First situation um, and the growing anti-globalist movement within the Republican Party is going to be our topic for Tuesday's episode. And I'm really excited about it. You guys have been sending us a couple articles. And if you want to do a little homework before next week, I highly recommend the latest episode of This American Life. We'll be just we will be discussing that as well. Until then, please go check out our Patreon page, Pantsuit Politics. You can find it on our website under Become a Supporter or on our social media channels. It's our membership drive, and we'll have lots of fun new um, extras. We have officially taken down the Pantsuit Primers from the feed. So if you want permanent access to the Pantsuit Primers, you're going to have to support the show, guys. We really appreciate it. And as always, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find Pantsuit Politics. Follow us on Facebook or at Twitter at Pantsuit Politic or on Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Thank you to my husband, our executive producer, Nicholas Holland, for all the hard work he puts on into this episode. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all. 